Well, friends, this is my coffee cup that I use every day. Uh, it's flashy, just like me. <laughs> it's a joke because it's a very plain and sober gray. But uh, I, every morning when I get up, I make coffee, I put it in this cup, and then I refill it when I come into the office here, and I sip on it as I go about my day. And at the end of the day, I take it home with me so I can use it again the next day. Or at least that's the plan. Uh, what ha ends up happening all too often is that I forget my mug here at the church. Uh, it's at the end of the day. I've got a lot of things on my mind as I'm gathering up my stuff. It's been a few hours since I've had my last sip of coffee. And even though it's sitting right there on the desk, I still manage to forget it. But of course, I don't realize that I've done that until the next morning when I'm going to make my coffee and I can't find my coffee cup. I'll go out and check the car because sometimes I get it that far and just not all the way up. But uh, when it's not there, then I have to go to my backup coffee cup, which is just not nearly as good as this one. Now, admittedly, that's not much of a consequence, but it's enough of one that it makes me really focus on remembering my cup that day and bring it home. And so what I will do is I'll take my car keys and I'll put them by the cup or maybe even right on top of the cup so that I can't leave without grabbing the cup. Now, I'm just curious, how many of you have any little reminders like that that you do so that you don't forget stuff? Oh, I'm so relieved I'm not the only one. All right, how many of you, it's literally the keys by what you're trying to remember? How many of you, it's put it by the front door so you have to trip over it on your way out? Okay, all right, good. Yeah, uh, some of you may not have this problem and you remember everything perfectly all the time. I'll just say the rest of us find that kind of annoying, but good for you. <laughs> you know, I I've always been a bit absent-minded, and so these reminders have always been helpful for me, but I'm finding that I need them a little more often the older I get. Uh, I'm not old yet, I don't think, but this week I did find myself having a conversation with Echo about how many pills per day you have to take before a pill organizer starts to make sense. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I'm not there yet, I'll have you know, but I also wasn't having that conversation five years ago, so I think I'm headed towards something. Uh, I, I see a day coming where in order to uh, remember uh, all that I need to remember, I'll have a pill organizer. It'll come in very handy someday, I'm sure. Uh, right now, I'm doing things like putting the keys by the coffee cup, putting stuff in front of the door, or putting reminders on my phone, put all kind of reminders so I get an alert, so I remember stuff. I make notes on my phone, I keep lists on my phone, and um, I still manage to forget things, but these reminders on, are helpful. Yeah, then the question is, if you forget your phone, you're really stuck, yeah. But, so it's not a perfect system, but it's helpful. These reminders are helpful. Uh, today, as we come to God's Word, we're looking at a section of Scripture where God is putting in place some reminders uh, especially for the priests who serve in the tabernacle, so that they'll remember some really important things. We're continuing on in this series in Exodus we've been in called People of the Presence, and we've been looking at passages at the end of Exodus, Exodus 25 through 31, and Exodus 35 through 40, where God is giving instructions for the construction of the tabernacle, this portable place of worship that, uh, that He wanted the Israelites to build. And uh, a couple uh, weeks ago, we looked at the priests and some of the instructions given to them as they served in the tabernacle. 
Last week, we looked at the courtyard of the tabernacle with its, um, with its uh, bronze altar and basin that were there. And this week, we're moving inside to talk about the holy place. Now, as, uh, as I've done the last couple of weeks, we're going to start by looking at the holy place and the items in it and how they functioned in the tabernacle and in the worship that happened there and then. But then we're going to bridge into our experience today and see how the holy place and what it signifies applies to our lives and our relationship with God. Uh, The holy place, as you kind of see represented there, was the western two-thirds of the tabernacle proper, this rectangular tent that was uh, constructed there and was on the eastern half of the the courtyard. Uh, If you get my weekly emails or if you're on the chapel Facebook group, you saw some links that I gave you so you can kind of see uh, these spaces and these items. Uh, Those are kind of helpful to me at least because when I just read through the descriptions in scripture, it's hard for me to get a picture of what it looked like. So those videos can kind of help us get an idea at least of what it it may have looked like. But this, um, this, uh, the tabernacle structure was made up of uh, wood panels or maybe another translation would be wood frames that were overlaid with gold and they were 45 feet long on the north and south sides. They're 15 feet away from each other, and uh, they were 15 feet high. And then over that wooden frame or those panels, there was a covering of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Over that was a covering made of goat hair, which was the normal exterior for a tent. Then over that was a leather covering, and over that was yet another leather covering. And so that made up this tabernacle structure. And uh, in that, about 15 feet from the eastern edge of it was a curtain of that blue-purple-scarlet yarn that had cherubim worked into it, and that divided the most holy place from the holy place. So the holy place was 30 feet long, 15 feet wide, 15 feet tall, and there was another gold-purple-scarlet curtain without the cherubim hanging at the western edge of it, that was the entrance into it. So, so that's the holy place. And in it were three items. In the holy place was a gold table. This was made of acacia wood overlaid with gold. It was three feet long. It was a foot and a half wide. It was a little over two feet tall. And the purpose of this table was to hold bread, as you see represented there. Uh, this is stated real clearly in Exodus 25, 30. The Lord says, "...put the bread of the presence on this table." to be before me at all times. And uh, this table was put just on the north side of the holy place. And uh, we know more about this bread of the presence from Leviticus 24, where it says that this was bread that was to be baked and set out fresh every Sabbath day. There were 12 loaves to be put in two piles of six. These 12 loaves represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And then every Sabbath day, fresh bread would be put out. So that was the table. Also in the holy place was a lampstand. It's described this way. Make a lampstand of pure gold, hammer out its base and shaft, and make its flower-like cups, buds, and blossoms of one piece with them. Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on one branch, three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand, there are to be four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud shall be under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand. 
a second bud under the second pair, a third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and branches shall all be of one piece with a lampstand, hammered out of pure gold. Then make it seven lamps and set them on it, so that they may light the space in front of it. And so here's the representation of what that might have looked like. And you can see here that this is a stylized tree. It's a, more specifically a stylized almond tree. The almond tree was the first tree to bud and blossom in the spring. So this is imagery of vitality and life. And so this lampstand there with the lamps on it is representing the life-giving light of God's presence. And, uh, and uh, this was set up on the south side of the holy place, which makes really significant that last verse we read that says the lamps are to be set so that they light up the space in front of it. Because what was in front of the lampstand was that table with bread on it. And so this lamp represents the life-giving light of God's presence, and it's shining on this bread that represents the 12 tribes of Israel. That's one of the reasons why that bread was called bread of the presence, because it was in the symbolic presence of God represented by the light from that lamp. So we have the golden lampstand in there. And then the third item that's, that's in the holy place is a, uh, an altar for burning incense, the incense altar. It is 18 uh, inches square. It's three feet tall. Uh, you can see there it has horns on the corners. It actually looks a lot like the bronze altar that's in the courtyard, just on a smaller scale, about a third the size. Uh, the priest would burn incense on this altar that was a special, unique blend that was only used for this purpose. We see that at the end of chapter 30, that the recipe is given for this incense, and the instruction is given, don't use this for any other purpose, only use that to burn on this incense altar in the holy place. The priest would do this twice a day. They would come in in the morning and in the evening uh, in order to burn this incense. They would be in the holy place at that time because they had to tend the lamp, the lamps that were burning. The lamps were to be kept burning continually. Uh, this is an instruction given in chapter 27, verses 20 and 21. And in order for that to happen, they had to be tended. The wicks had to be trimmed. They had to be refilled with oil. The idea was that they would always be shining on the bread of the presence, uh, symbolizing that the light of God's presence never left his people. It's especially emphasized that they're to be kept burning from evening till morning. So the idea being that the, even through the darkest nights, even through the most difficult times, God's people were never out of his presence. His presence was always shining on, on them. So the priests would be in there to trim uh, the wicks and fill the oil and the lamps, and then they would also burn incense to the Lord on the psalter. It was placed on the north, or, no, sorry, uh, east uh, side of the holy place, right in front of the curtain, that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And this proximity is emphasized in Exodus 36. It says, Put the altar in front of the curtain that shields the Ark of Covenant Law before the atonement cover that is over the tablets of the covenant law, where I will meet with you. So that God's presence and uh, the, there in the whole, most holy place is being emphasized in the placement of this altar of incense. This incense altar was as close as the priests could get to the most holy place, the closest they could get to the presence of God, and they would burn incense there, and they would do it morning and evening. This was the same time that the daily sacrifices were being offered out in the courtyard at the altar there. So there, every day, twice a day, 
there would be a lamb that would be a whole burnt offering. There would be a grain offering and a drink offering that would be offered on the altar, the bronze altar in the courtyard. And while that was happening, and while the accompanying prayers that went with those sacrifices were being offered, in the holy place, there's a priest burning incense on this altar, and the smoke was rising up. Uh, later in Scripture, we see incense associated with prayer, and that's probably what's symbolized here as well, that as prayers are being offered in the courtyard with those sacrifices, the priest in the holy place is seeing the smoke of the incense arise, and it's making its way into the most holy place, into the presence of God. The idea being that just as that smoke was making its way into God's presence, the prayers that were being offered with the sacrifices were likewise making their way into God's presence. It's a reminder that God hears the prayers of his priests. And so that's the altar of incense. I've, the, uh, the holy place was a place where only the priests could go. Uh, people in general could come into the court of the tabernacle. They could come to the altar there and offer sacrifices, have them offered. Uh, so everyone who was ceremonially clean could go into the courtyard. Into the most holy place, only Moses could go to speak with the Lord, and then the high priest once a year would go on the Day of Atonement. But the holy place was a space that was reserved for the priests. They were the only ones who could go there. And I, I spent a lot of time this week thinking about what's the purpose and the significance of the holy place. Because God is commanding some some uh, rituals to be performed there. there. He's giving instructions on what's to be done there, but what's the point of that? It, you know, there's not, there's, there's not sacrifices being made for the people's sin and guilt. That's happening out in the courtyard at the altar there. God's not speaking there like he did to Moses in the most holy place or up on Mount Sinai. So what's going on in the holy place? Whatever it is, it's something for the priests because they were the only ones who could be there. And I, I don't think that that what's happening there was for the sake of the people who couldn't go into that place. I mean, the people knew what happened there. It wasn't like a big mystery, but they couldn't witness it. And I don't think that God needs bread to be on the table or lamps to be kept burning or even incense to be burned. So what's happening here is for the sake of the priest, why, why did God set it up this way? And I really think a big part of the purpose of the holy place was to remind the priests of what was most important, to give them some enacted rituals and ceremonies to go about so they would not forget what was most important, and particularly to remember what was most important about their role as priests. Remember that the role of priests was to bring people to God and bring God to people. And so every week, as the priests would bring fresh loaves of bread and put it on the table of the presence, they were symbolically bringing the people into the presence of God as they brought the, those loaves representing the 12 tribes. And, every, and twice a day, as the priests would tend to the lamps and ensure that it was the light from those lamps was shining on what was in front of it, shining on the bread of the presence, they were enacting out this reality that God is present with his people. So symbolically, they're bringing the people into God's presence and they're making sure that God's presence gets to the people. Twice a day, they would act this out. And I think, I think part of the point of this was so that they would remember that this is the why behind all the activity that they did. 
You, you think of all the work that the priests did in taking down and setting up the tabernacle, carrying it from place to place in the wilderness, tending to the fire that was there in the bronze altar, uh, preparing the animals for sacrifices, doing all the other jobs and duties that they had to do. As they went about all that work and activity, they were meant to remember, but this is why we're doing it. Because we have a role to play in bringing people to God and bringing God to people. Remember why. I think a big part of what the priests did in that role of mediating between God and people was that they offered sacrifices with the accompanying prayers that they lifted up to the Lord. So I also think the holy place was to remind the priests that their prayers mattered, that their prayers were important, that their prayers actually made it to God. As they saw the smoke from the incense waft up and go, over the top of the curtain and around the edges and under the bottom, they, they understood it's going into the very presence of God. Our prayers matter. God hears us when we pray. And so I, I really believe the holy place was this acted out reminder for the priests that what they did was important. It was to remind them of the immediacy of God's presence with them and with his people and the importance of their prayers. And folks, I think these are really important truths for us to keep in mind as well. That uh, these are reminders not just for the priests, but the holy place is a reminder for us of this as well. That God is with us and that our prayers matter. We can think of ourselves there in the context of the holy place, and we can think about that table that had the bread of the presence on it. And think about the reality that those loaves symbolize the people being in the presence of God. Now, it might sound a little silly to picture yourself as a loaf of bread sitting on a table in the light of the lamp, but haven't there been times when you've like stepped out on it from a chilly shadow into the warmth of the sunlight and just to take a minute to bask in it? Like the sun's shining, it's always there. But there's times we step into it like, ah, the warmth and radiance of the sun. It's that kind of basking in God's presence that I'd love for us to have in mind as we think about the bread on the table. When we, we're meant to have these moments that we're aware of God's presence with us, even if it's not dramatic, I mean, hallelujah for the times it is, but even when it's just we sense the warmth of His light and favor shining on us, we're aware of His presence with us. And as we're in His presence, we're aware that He's with us and that He's the one that gives us all we need. He's our provider. I think this is part of why it was bread in particular that the people brought, the priests brought and set before the Lord every week. Because bread reminded the people and the priests of God's provision for them. God provided bread for his people in the form of manna. And the only day a week that God didn't provide manna was the day that the priests set out the bread before the Lord. So he gave them bread six days a week and they brought bread to him one day a week, uh, as it were. It's also just an interesting detail that the amount of flour that was used to make each loaf of bread was two omers of flour. That happens to be exactly the amount of manna that people were to gather on Fridays to last them through the Sabbath. So there is a connection here. Even with that bread that's on the table and the timing of when it's put out, there's this connection of bread and provision and Sabbath. And it's reminding the people and it reminds us, God is the provider of all we need including all the food we need, all the sustenance we need, and all the rest that we need. God is our provider. So as we're basking in the light of his presence, it's that life-giving light. We're remembering, God, you're the source of all I need. And so as I'm aware of your presence, I don't want to look for what I need anywhere else. 
I don't want to try to find sustenance anywhere else. I don't want to try to com- find comfort and rest anywhere else. It's only in you, so I'm going to live dependently on you as I'm aware of your presence. We can think of ourselves moving to that lampstand, and we can imagine ourselves as one of the priests who tends that, those lamps to make sure that the light shines where it's supposed to on what's in front of it. And we think that we have the privilege of shining the light of God's presence into the lives of people we know. That we can direct the light of His presence to the people around us. Don't you know someone who needs to know that God is with them? Don't you know someone who needs to know that God can provide for them, that only He can provide what they truly need? Don't you know someone who needs to know that the rest they're seeking can only be found in God's presence? Isn't it amazing to think that we have this role of getting to help make people aware of God's presence in their life? We get to shine the light of God's presence on them. We can take that a step further, though, and think of ourselves not just as the priests, but as one of those lamps themselves. Jesus said in Matthew 5, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. And so they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, we have have seen a few times in these last few weeks this amazing reality that we get to, we have the privilege and responsibility of portraying God accurately to people around us so that when they look at us, they get an accurate idea of who God is, that they see His presence as they look at us, that they see our good deeds and don't glorify us, but glorify our Father in heaven whose goodness we reflect. That's an amazing privilege, but I feel the weight of that because I know me. I mean, I know some of you too, but I know me. And that's that's a a high bar. It's so comforting to know that I don't have to do this in my own strength or with anything that I bring, but it's the Lord working through me that does it. If I think of myself as that lamp, I'm filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit. That's what fuels the goodness of God, the presence of God seen through me. Even think of uh, my life my will as the wick that soaks up that oil and then, get, and, then, and then burns. As I make choices that honor God, as I invest my life in ways that honor Him, I'm keeping that wick burning brightly with the fuel of the oil of the Holy Spirit so that others will see the presence of God in me. You know, Part of what had to happen for these lamps to be kept burning brightly and for the flame to be pure was that the wicks had to be trimmed. Twice a day, the priest would trim the wicks as needed. And, uh, you know, they, when the wick has those charred parts to it, if it doesn't get trimmed, it makes the flame less bright, and it also makes it more smoky. And so it kept the flame, bright, flame burning pure to trim the wicks. And I think there's something to think about in our lives with this. If there's anything in our lives that would keep the presence of God being seen brightly and clearly through us, if there's anything in us that would distract from the goodness of God being seen in us, that needs to be trimmed. We need to repent of that, realign to God so that the flame of His presence can burn and shine brightly and purely in us so that others can see Him. We get to bring God's presence to others. We get to see ourselves in God's presence. And as we come to the... uh, as we come to that incense altar, we understand that our prayers really matter. 
Again, that incense altar was the closest the priest could get to the most holy place. They saw the smoke making its way into that inner chamber, and they knew that their prayers were reaching God, so they could pray with confidence because they knew that. Folks, if the priest could pray with confidence, knowing that their prayers reached the Lord, how much more so should we? Because, friends, we don't have to stay on the far side of the curtain. We get to go all the way in to the presence of God. He really is with us, and we are with Him. Look at what um, the author of Hebrews says. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And drawing on this imagery of tabernacle and temple, it says in Hebrews 10, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest, Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Folks, when we pray, we pray with confidence and assurance because we know that God is hearing our prayers. The Hebrew word for presence is literally face. When you're in someone's presence, you are before their face. When we are in God's presence, we are before His face. When we pray face to face, we know that He hears us. And so we pray with boldness and confidence. Friends, could that change how we pray? If we knew that our prayers were not just us processing difficult things in our lives, in our minds, or out loud. If we knew that we're not just reaping the, the, the better mental state that comes from uh, being prayerful or meditative. If we know that we're not just speaking to the room, that our prayers aren't bouncing off the ceiling. If we know that our prayers are going into the ears of the Lord, would we pray with more boldness and confidence? You can pray with boldness and confidence and full assurance about the needs that you have in your life and the hurts that you're carrying and what you need and want God to do for you. And as we fulfill our priestly role of praying for others, we pray with boldness and confidence as we intercede for them. You can pray with your kids with confidence. You can pray for your family members with assurance. You can pray for your friends and neighbors and co-workers who need the presence of God in their lives with boldness and confidence because you know God hears your prayers. We intercede with that confidence and that full assurance. And when we carry out our priestly duty of blessing others, we bless with that same assurance and confidence. You know, it's so, so interesting that that word, for, um, that, that word for shine or light up in Exodus 25, 37 says, make sure the lamps are lighting up, shining on what's in front of it. That's the exact same word in the priestly blessing in number six. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and give you peace. There's this idea that we, as in our identity as priests of God, we shine the light of God's blessing on people. We ask Him to make His face shine upon them. That's part of what we do. So we can bless the people around us, bless the people that need to know the presence of God in their life. We can bless our leaders. We can bless our country. We can bless our world. We can bless our communities with boldness and confidence and full assurance because we know that our prayers matter. Our prayers are important. Our prayers of intercession and our prayers of blessing. So these reminders from the holy place, they matter for us. But how do, we, how do we remember? How do we make this not just Tim said it on Sunday morning, but it's something that we keep with us? Uh, you know, this is not the kind of thing that we can just set our keys by to help us remember. And I am not suggesting that we construct a holy place. 
Uh, I do not have a vision for a giant golden menorah in here next Sunday when we come to worship. So how do we remember? I think that we can put reminders in our lives that take the shape of habits that we do on regular rhythms that will remind us of God's presence with us and will remind us to pray. And, uh, you know, as we look at what happened in the holy place, we saw that there was this, uh, this ritual that was carried out on a weekly rhythm of the bread being put out every Sabbath day. And I do think that there are weekly rhythms in our lives that we can adopt that will be reminders for us of God's presence with us. One of these weekly rhythms would be a Sabbath day. I don't believe that we need to take a Sabbath from you know, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, as the Israelites did, but I do think it matters that we have a day a week where we stop, we pause our normal activity and our normal pace so that we can rest and be restored. You know, what, what you do on the Sabbath day is what's restful and restorative for you. That's going to be different for different people. For some of us, uh, it's going to mean that we read by ourselves quietly with no one around for a while. Or maybe do some other solitary, quiet hobby by yourself. Others of us, the way you're wired to really uh, feel restored, you're going to go run 10 miles, and you're so glad that that's a part of your Sabbath day. Uh, for others, it's going to mean that you've got to be with people. You've got to get with friends and family because those relationships are what restore you and are going to help you feel refreshed to go into the, the week ahead. Depending on your personality, how you're wired, that re re restorative activity or lack of activity can take different forms, but that's meant to be a part of Sabbath. On Sabbath, we also have an opportunity to direct our attention to God in maybe a different way than we do the other six days of the week. Maybe we spend longer with Him. Maybe we come at that time in a different way from a different angle, but we're spending that time with God on the Sabbath. And as we do that, as we're pausing from our work, we know that we can do that because we're trusting in God as our provider, that His presence is a life-giving presence. He's the provider of all we need. So we can cease from our efforts to provide for ourselves one day a week because we know that He is our provider and all we need comes from Him. So Sabbath is a weekly rhythm that can be really, really helpful to remind us, God is with me. God's presence is with me. Another weekly rhythm that's important is uh, corporate worship. Uh, good job, you're doing it today. Well done. And uh, you know we just have this record from the earliest days of the church that this is what Christians do, is they gather once a week to sing, to read scripture, to give an offering, to fellowship, to serve one another, to take communion. This is what, this is what Christians do. And they, sometimes they get together more than once a week, but this has been the minimum across cultures and across the ages. And one of the things that I love about chapel is that there are so many people who take this seriously, and you're just here every Sunday. If you're not sick, if you're not out of town, you're here. And some of you have been doing that for decades and decades. And I love that that's a priority for so many because it's a, it's a way that we get to experience God's presence when we gather together as his temple. I, I've said this a few times recently, but just this idea that we not only individually are the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, but corporately as the church, when we gather, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what better way to be reminded of the immediacy of his presence with us than by gathering as his temple? and experiencing His presence. I, I really hope and pray it's the case that as we gather together in some way, we encounter the presence of God. Maybe it's going to be in a moment in worship. 
Maybe it's going to touch our emotions. Maybe God's going to put a thought in our head that's from Him. Maybe we'll feel something, or maybe we'll sense the presence of God in the love and warmth and fellowship of the other folks that are here. Maybe it'll be in a hug in the foyer. Maybe it'll be a conversation out in the parking lot but that we would sense the presence of God when we gather together. That's a weekly rhythm that's super helpful. We also see in the tabernacle uh, holy place that there were daily rhythms as well, the twice daily rhythm of tending the lamps and offering the incense. And I think, again, it's helpful for us to think, what are those daily rhythms that we can get into that remind us of God's presence and remind us to pray? Uh, If you've been in church a while and you hear about a daily habit, your mind probably goes to the thought of daily devotions, which we usually, what we usually mean by that is time every day to read the Bible and to pray. And that is an incredibly good daily habit to establish. But not to do it just as a supposed to kind of thing or something that we can check off a, a holy checklist that we have to do. Because you know, the goal isn't really to have devotions, it's to be devoted people. And, and, we, and to be aware of God's presence. And time in God's word and time in prayer should help that to happen. You know, as if we really believe that our prayers matter, then we're going to be motivated to take that time of prayer seriously. And as we see God answering our prayers, it motivates us all the more to come to that time and prioritize it. And, if, and what better way to be reminded of God's presence with us than to hear him speak to us? So as we're in the listening part of prayer, that we would listen for what God would want to speak to us by His Holy Spirit to our hearts. As we're reading Scripture, we're asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us through His Word. And when He drops that thought in our minds, it's just what we needed to know and hear from Him. When He highlights that verse or phrase in Scripture that, that just stands out, we know He's speaking to us, that reminds us, He's with me. He knows me. He cares about me. He's speaking to me. So that, that kind of a daily habit is important. But you know, let's not limit this just to a time of devotions in the morning. Uh, the priest did stuff in the morning and the evening. I mean, think about what could you do at the end of your day to draw your attention back to God? Would there be a way you could finish your day that would bring all the events of your day before him? You could give to him whatever you need to before you go to, before you go to sleep. Uh, you know, um, one helpful tool in this uh, could be the Lectio 365 app. Uh, it's put out by the 24-7 prayer movement. Uh, many of you read that book by Pete Gregg last summer, How to Pray. His organization has put out this app, has guided devotions for morning and evening. The morning devotion is a reflection on Scripture. The evening devotion is what's been called the prayer of examine, where we just look at our day and bring it to the Lord. And if you're looking for something to get you started, you could check that out, Lectio 365. And whether you use that or just in, take a few minutes of quiet at the end of your day, why not end your day with a focus on the Lord? Why not give your night to Him as you get ready to sleep? Um, that's a way that we can be reminded of His presence with us. And think of reminders throughout the day. I mean, make, make it a holy game for yourself. How many reminders can I put in my day that God's with me and that I can pray? You know, when uh, many of us have a habit of praying before meals, what if that wasn't just a perfunctory thing we did, But it was a moment to remember God is with me, and one of the ways he shows his presence is by providing for me even this food that I'm about to eat. What if you made it a matter of prayer every time you're in a transition point of your day? You pray for who you're just with, what you just came from. You pray for where you're going, who you're going to be with. What if you prayed when you were on your way to work or when you're on your way home from work? 
What if you prayed every time you stepped out of your house and every time you stepped into your house? What if you reminded yourself that God was with you in your comings and your goings? What if you made your, your uh, car a little holy place where you could pray and just as you're driving, remember that God is with you and pray as he would lead you? What if you made social media a holy place where you prayed for everyone whose posts you saw on Instagram or Facebook, for every issue that gets mentioned, uh, you could make that a matter of prayer. Thank you, Lord, that you're with this person. Let them know your presence in their life. Thank you that your presence in this situation make yourself known. All these ways and more, we can give ourselves these reminders that God is with us, that he's working, uh, that our prayers matter, that our prayers matter. It's not going to be by building a literal holy place, but how can we make our hearts, our souls, our minds a holy place full of those reminders that God is with us and that he wants us to bring his presence to others and that our prayers matter, that as we intercede for others and as we bless them, we can do so with full assurance and confidence because we are knowing, we know that God is hearing our prayers and he's going to respond. So we think about how we respond this morning. I've given you lots of ideas, but I'm going to invite you just to bow your heads, take a quiet moment with the Lord and listen to him speak. What I'd like us to do today is we just invite the Holy Spirit into our imaginations. We sanctify our imagination as a place set apart for God in this moment. And I just want you to think about one of these three items in the holy place that God, you feel God might be drawing your attention to. I just want you to think about it and meditate on it and see what God would show you. Maybe it'll be something that I've brought out and said. Maybe it's something that he'll just speak to you. But just ask the Lord, Lord, which of these do you want me to think about and what do you want to say to me through it? We'll just give a minute for that listening to the Lord in the quiet of our hearts. For some, for some as you think about prayer, your perception has been that there is some curtain between you and God, that you, you're pretty sure your prayers get to Him, but... Um, but you just feel like there's something between you and him when you pray. And I, I believe that part of what God would want to, uh, what would want you to see today is, as that verse from Hebrews says, there's been a, there's a way open through that curtain. That curtain's been, been torn in two so that you can enter the presence of God. And so it's my prayer that there would be no barrier, even in your emotions or your mind, between you and God when you come to pray that you'd be aware of his presence with you more strongly, more fully, and more profoundly than, than ever before. As I was meditating, I, my attention was drawn to that lampstand and kind of a humorous picture. Instead of a, a lamp on top of it, I saw like a bright spotlight. And just the thought that I, I get to be a light that shines God's presence on people. And I'm praying, Lord, let me shine brightly and show me who you want to reveal yourself to through me. In all the ways you're speaking this morning, Lord, we just say yes. We pray that you would solidify that in our hearts. And we choose, Lord, to make the responses that you're calling us to in this moment. To establish those rhythms, to remember, to, uh, to do what you're calling us to do. Lord, we say that yes to you. We pray that we would live with an awareness of what's most important. That we get to be in your presence and bring your presence to others. And that you hear our prayers. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. 
I do, I do bless you in the name of the Lord, and I do pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you, that he would keep you safe from all harm, that he would keep you close to himself, that you would be aware that as a Psalm says, he shelters you under the shadow of his wings like a hen gathers her chicks. The Lord is keeping you close to himself. I bless you with the, that sense of being kept by the Lord. I do pray that God would make his face shine upon you, that this would be a day, a week, that you bask in the presence of God, the life-giving light and warmth and radiance of God's presence would be tangible to you in, that, in the days to come, that you would know the favor of God in your life. The Lord would make his face shine upon you and he would give you peace. The shalom of God, that's a sense of well-being for every part of who we are, for your, your health and your relationships and your finances and your emotions and your thoughts and every other part of what makes you, you. May you be blessed with the peace of God in your life this week. Friends, as we go from this place, we are blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you.